You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Welcome to Domecast. This is Jordan Schrader, and I'm here with Colin Campbell of the News and Observer. Just the two of us this week. We'll talk about uh, the big news early in the week. Uh, we have a new governor, or at least a governor-elect, and uh, the uh, speculation begins about what our former governor, or current governor rather, uh, will be doing now. Uh, and we look ahead to next week's special session. Uh, but first, uh, Colin, let's start with uh, Pat McCrory. So on Monday, the uh, Durham recount wrapped up, and uh, McCrory, even before it was over, uh, said that uh, he had lost to Roy Cooper and, uh, and conceded the election. Yeah, so that was kind of – it came a little bit as a surprise, I thought. Um, we kind of knew with the Durham recount scheduled to wrap up on Monday with that deadline – uh, that he was probably going to concede either then or maybe at the end of the week um, on Friday when the State Board of Elections met to certify the election results. Uh, so we were kind of gearing up for it, but then around noon on Monday as the the final couple thousand votes were being counted over in Durham, uh, McCrory issues a video statement uh, with him. looks like he was sitting on a couch in front of a Christmas tree, uh, one wishing you a Merry Christmas and also that he's going to concede the election to Cooper that he uh, believed that all the uh, enough ballots had been counted where it was very clear that Cooper was the choice of the voters and that he would uh, cooperate and, and be helpful in the transition process from there. So that ended the nearly a month of uh, a contested governor's race. Cooper had, since election, I'd always been in the lead. Uh, his lead grew uh, over time as, as more of the provisional and absentee ballots were counted. The Durham recount um, really didn't change much other than just a couple votes here and there. And that, I think, was apparent Sunday night when Durham released its early recount results of sort of how many votes had changed in the uh, first day or two of the recount. And it was something like Cooper gained, I think, two or three votes, and McCrory may have lost one. Uh, so nowhere near the uh, the sort of shift of 10,000 or so votes that McCrory would have needed to pull it off and, and really change the game here. So that sort of ended that process. And then Cooper had his big, uh, long-delayed victory party over at the McKimmon Center at NC State on Tuesday night. Uh, I had a decent crowd um, at that of, of mostly Democrats who said they were relieved to, to see that this had finally gone down and, w- and without any sort of uh, involvement from the legislature, which was, of course, a concern that folks had that somehow the legislature might find a way to overturn the election results or, or claim some sort of voter fraud that required them to to settle it. Um, but even with the the victory party coming, like they, they had a overflow room that was not needed at all for his speech. I think most people are pretty tired of this election at this point. Yeah. So what's next for uh, Pat McCrory? Uh, he was spotted this week at Trump Tower. In fact, his, his uh, the, the Trump transition campaign uh, let it be known that Trump was going to be talking to him. And, yeah, and they had uh, a few nice things to say about Trump, uh, about McCrory, mm-hmm. I believe. They liked um, his uh, f- support for fracking. Uh, and uh, what else did they say yeah, about him? Just sort of, just sort of general positive yeah. praise he for got his to role, know role as governor. They, they, uh, they got to the know him the campaign trail. trail which is interesting because if you look back at the uh, overall 2016 campaign, uh, McCrory stayed out of the whole primary process. Uh, but even once Trump was the presumptive nominee, we had a hard time getting him to be clear about his endorsement of Trump early on. I remember a council of state meeting where uh, I kind of 
caught McCrory on his way out the door and asked him, you know, are you supporting Trump? And he said, I'm supporting the nominee. And I said, so so what do you like about Trump? You know, what what makes you think he's going to be a good president? And he basically said, I will support the nominee. Uh, and of course, later, he, he became more of a, a Trump supporter and actually spoke at a number of Trump rallies, which is where uh, the two of them got to know each other, I think. Um, and then, of course, Trump was, uh, McCrory was at the Trump Tower uh, earlier this week, just a day or two after his concession. Um, no word on what they talked about. I think uh, McCrory was asked on his way out, and, and he declined to talk to reporters. But there's a, a great video off of, uh, I guess it was C-SPAN's uh, Trump Tower elevator cam, where you can see McCrory go into the golden elevators and, you know, ride up to Trump's offices on whatever floor he's on. Um so we'll we'll see where he ends up. There's been speculation about a couple of possibilities for him, but nothing really confirmed as as even he's definitely being considered for this position or that position. Yeah, it doesn't sound like we have any good intel on what he might be considered for. What would be kind of a natural fit uh, f- for him? Do you think? Uh, well, I heard some people like- comment about uh, EPA just because he was you know involved in the coal ash spill cleanup here in North Carolina. Of course, that position went to somebody else this week. Um, other things I've heard is is FEMA. Um, which, you know, emergency management, uh, you know, it seems like the place where McCrory is most in his element when he's he's got on his green emergency management shirt, he's confronting a big crisis, whether it's a flood or wildfires or whatever other sort of natural disasters uh, may come up. And there were fair number of them during his his four-year term um he seemed to be very very comfortable in in that role and uh got a lot of praise for how he handled uh some of this stuff so that seems like that could be a possibility for him Uh, i've also heard sort of undersecretaries of you know energy or various other things but we'll see no one really knows for sure really has a good sense for what trump is thinking and I don't think anyone can really ever guess what Trump is thinking. And it seemed like his approval ratings uh, did go up after the, the Hurricane Matthew crisis, and uh, people seem to think he uh, he led that with a with a steady hand, I guess. Yeah, and his uh, poll numbers were much worse in September. Uh, I mean, he was down four or five points to Cooper, if not more, in a number of the September polls, and then that sort of bounced back to a much closer race in, in the October polls after the hurricane response and of course on election day he he won by uh, he lost by a very very narrow margin what are people saying about uh, why he lost in the end was it was it hb2 uh, was it uh, tolls? Was it something else? Yeah, it was. A, I think it was a mixture. I think the the toll issue was definitely what cost him um, probably at least you know thousands, if not tens of thousands, of votes in the northern Mecklenburg County suburbs. I mean, the issue there is this whole idea of they're building these toll lanes on I seventy seven. Seventy seven is sort of the main commuter route for these folks, and it's probably one of the biggest uh, traffic jams people experience in that region. So there's a lot of anger about that that he didn't act enough to stop this contract with this company that was building the toll lanes and, and going to charge people to to use the faster lanes on, on 77 once they're completed. HB2 obviously I think really hurt him in, in a lot of the urban areas um, and, and certainly you can look at the counties like Wake, Mecklenburg, Guilford. Uh, he did much more poorly in those counties than he did back in, in 2012. So it's clear that uh, the backlash to HB2 coupled with the you know sports and, and economic losses really uh, were on their minds on this point. I mean, McCrory lost by such a small margin that you could almost take away one of these issues and he would have had enough votes to eke out a, a narrow victory. So, you know, you can't really pin it on one thing. I've heard the the human rights campaign when they were, were here in Raleigh earlier this week sort of were, were very focused on, hey, look, we brought up HB2 and he lost and it was because of HB2. But, I mean, I, I think you can easily make the case that 
Had he not signed HB2, he would have won. Had he somehow managed to placate these toll opponents in Mecklenburg County, he might have won. Um, and had he you know, not been beset by Moral Mondays on, on all these other issues that were brought up, voting rights, health care, et cetera, uh, which was sort of the case that, that William Barber was making to me this week, uh, that might have uh, allowed him to get those extra 10,000 votes. So it's it's definitely a mix of things. Um, and, and depending on who you talk to and what their uh, core issue is, they're going to tell you that, that their opposition, their issue of choice was the thing that brought them down. Rob Christensen in his column this week uh, contended that it, it may have been, it, that it, like you said, it was many things. Any one of a number of things could have cost him that small number of votes, but that clashes with the legislature seemed to really hurt him, Where, or uh, even when they didn't clash, uh, things that the legislature did to, you know, in Rob's words, undercut him. Uh, basically, you know, they had the first uh, Republican governor in 20 years, and uh you know, they they instead of uh, kind of doing everything they could to to help him win, they uh, undercut him. Was was part of Rob's thesis. Uh, he certainly clashed with the legislature on a lot of things. Yeah, and, and it came off as weak. So I think even with Hurricane Matthew being able to you know look like he's in charge and managing the crisis well, it was hard for him to combat that image that he was just getting steamrolled by the legislature at, at every turn where he tried to uh, accomplish something. And I mean, even his his signature issue, the uh, Connect NC bond package, he wanted a, a package that involved a lot of transportation projects. And the end, it ended up being more about uh, education, infrastructure, uh, you know, university facilities, parks facilities, that sort of thing. Uh, and that was largely at the the will of the legislature that they wanted it to, to look a certain way. And he kind of had to go along with it because he needed to get the votes to get it through. Well, we have a governor-elect, and Roy Cooper pretty fast named a few members of his team, and she new chief of staff, a new senior advisor, and uh, I think a legislative Yeah, his legislative liaison. liaison, so essentially the lobbyist for the governor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm blanking on that guy's name, but he is a, a longtime lobbyist for Blue Cross Blue Shield, the uh, the big insurance company. So uh, there's probably a sense that he's got the relationships over there for, for being part of the state's largest insurance company um, that, that may help Roy Cooper at least uh, get his message in the door, if, if not successfully persuading some of the Republicans in leadership. Right. And Republicans uh, were pretty quick to jump on the uh, uh, background of the senior advisor, uh, Ken Udy. Uh, you wrote about that. So what are, what are they saying about you, objecting to about Udy? Yeah, so so Ken Udy will be the senior advisor. His background, uh, I think he started his career uh, in our shoes as a political reporter at the, the Charlotte Observer, uh, and then went on to uh, lead the state Democratic Party for a couple years in the 1980s. And then he founded this uh, public relations and marketing firm called Capstrat, uh, which is one of the bigger firms in the, the Raleigh area, uh, was bought out by a larger uh, PR firm a couple years back. Uh, so he's taking a back seat with that. I think his financial stake in that company ends. But there were some concerns uh, raised by the conservative Civitas Institute that uh, Capstrat has gotten some uh, state government contracting in the past. Maybe there's a a uh, potential conflict of interest there. Udi assures me that you know he's not going to have any role with them, and they don't do a whole lot of state contracting as it is at this point. Um, but the other issue that uh, sort of drew more attention was the uh, Colin Kaepernick controversy. Um, Udi had written a column for this uh, website called Education NC a couple months back, uh, and and his whole point was that he thinks that teachers should be honored more. In his example, he said he doesn't stand up at sporting events. Uh, he stands for the national anthem, but he doesn't stand. Um, when there's the cheering for the military that goes on, he feels like we shouldn't necessarily honor warriors. We should instead be honoring teachers. Uh, and so that 
drew some criticism from Civitas, which was then blasted out by the North Carolina Republican Party to all their email list uh, that he is not supportive of the troops. And does this mean that Roy Cooper uh, is not fully supportive of the military and would be sitting down at a sporting event, that sort of thing? So that uh, blew up a little bit uh, this week on him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that continues. He, he told me that, you know, if that's the best Civitas has on him, then uh, he feels pretty good about that, that they haven't, you know, tried to raise any other issues uh, about him serving this role. And, uh, of course, we're recording this pretty late on, on Friday, but uh, who knows? Based on recent weeks, I'm sure there'll be some news dump at, uh, after uh, 5 o'clock on Friday. We'll have a whole bunch of new cabinet appointments, uh, so we'll just stay tuned. But I would imagine that Cooper will uh, make some, some big announcements pretty soon, right? Yeah, I would think within the next couple of weeks. I mean, we're, we're only you know, three out, maybe three weeks out from – uh, inauguration day, and so he really only has these three staff members on board. Um, I'm told this week he's been able to finally move into transition office space. Uh, the problem with the legislate with the uh, election being so unsettled was that they transition team, even though they had started it up and sort of declared Cooper the governor elect before he necessarily was, uh, they were scattered all around. So now they have state government office space that they're going to be all in, in one place and can uh, really start getting into the works of uh, of building out their their transition in the new administration. And he'll be uh, taking the oath of office on January 1st, right, yeah, instead so of waiting for the inauguration? Governors, uh, the last couple cycles have either waited until uh, inauguration day to formally take the oath of office, become the governor. Some have done it earlier. I think McCrory did it a couple days early. Uh, Cooper is going to do it as soon as humanly possible, which is January 1st. So that's uh, great news to all of us who want to not work on New Year's Day, the, there will be a swearing-in ceremony, probably a fairly small, low-key one for Cooper, and he'll he'll get to work that uh, following him. I guess Monday is the, the second. All right. Uh, and I should say uh, we also had a concession from uh, Senator Buck Newton uh, in the attorney general's race. So Josh Stein is officially the attorney general. There's a little wider margin. Yeah, uh, that was never we- close to recount territory. But Buck Newton basically felt like he wanted to make sure with the voter fraud allegations out there that he wanted everything resolved before he said he was done. And, and this week we, we got that around the same time as Governor McCrory's concession. And then just a few hours ago, we heard from Chuck Stuber. Uh, the auditor candidate, there was a recount there, and although they weren't quite done with it last time we checked, I think uh, Beth Wood had uh, clearly won, and her uh, margin didn't seem to be changing that much, I guess. Yeah, uh, so Stuber realized that this was, you know, no real issues with the the auditor's recount and, and decided to concede today on that, and, and Beth Wood has uh, declared victory and, and says she's excited about her what I think will be her third term in office as, as state auditor. Well, let's talk about special sessions. So uh, Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday is special session, and I guess there's some possibility that it might not be just Tuesday, right? Yeah, so I talked to Representative Chuck McGrady, one of the Republicans. His, I guess his technical title is that he's one of the budget co-chairs, so he's fairly well uh, uh, informed He's got good about, sources. Yeah, yeah he, he knows what's going on better than a lot of folks over there, and he told me, um, this is likely to be probably a two or three day process that the legislators have been told to sort of clear their calendar between Tuesday and Thursday. And I was curious about that because I'm thinking back to March when House Bill 2 passed, that was a one day deal. They came in, I think they began meeting at 9 or 10 a.m. By 7 or 8 o'clock at night, they were done and the bill was on the governor's desk and he was signing it at, at 10 p.m. Apparently, this will work differently. Uh, because of the way the legislature adjourned using the uh, signing die procedure uh, back in June or July, whenever their, their last day was. Uh, so that means 
they're technically they have to form a whole new session um, under their their legislative rules. Uh, so where back in March when they had a special session, they were basically able to for House Bill two take an existing bill that had already gone through the committee process and been vetted, take all the language out of it, stick in the language they wanted for House Bill 2, and just ram it through in a day. This time, whatever they put into this bill, it has to be filed as a brand new bill. That means it has to go through a House committee, then to the House floor, then to a Senate committee, then to the Senate floor. And if somebody changes it, then it goes back to, goes back to the other chamber. Uh, so that could take a while. Um, and there's talk that there could be other issues brought up, uh, and it may not just be as simple as let's send some money to the disaster relief victims and call it a day. Right, and I guess I should back up that the whole uh, – ostensibly the purpose of the special session is to uh, approve disaster relief funding uh, for Hurricane Matthew victims, uh, flooding and uh, other damage that occurred in October, and possibly also uh, for the fires that have been uh, in the last month uh, out in the western part of the state – um, do we know, uh, have we seen any kind of legislation yet? Do we know how much money they're going to approve? I have not or? seen any legislation yet. Uh, McGrady told me it's being drafted, and he thinks it may be um, rolling out in some fashion on either Monday or, or Tuesday, um, but it's sort of being developed under wraps, as, as these things tend to be um, in these situations. The key part of the of Friday's news is the proclamation from Governor McCrory calling the special session finally came out, and it listed specifically the the fires and Hurricane Matthew, ah. but also had a, a like three or four words at the end that are probably going to grab the most attention today is that, uh, and also to address any other matters that the legislature wishes to consider, I think was how it was worded. So that, that means they can do just about anything. And, w- um, and what did McGrady say that they might do? So he mentioned to me, uh, one thing he was sort of specific about um, as a possibility was uh, a regulatory reform bill. Uh, There was this, uh, I think, multiple uh, different sorts of deregulation types of bills that were floating around in the final hours of the session back in the summer. Um, And the Senate ended up deciding to go ahead home rather than staying late into the night to work out a deal on this thing. So that bill ended up dying. And uh, I think House Speaker Tim Moore actually said that was one of his biggest disappointments of uh, of the legislative session, that they couldn't get this through. Uh, So McGrady says there are discussions of possibly bringing that back up um, for a vote. Um, That's going to, particularly given what might be in it, and no one's really sure exactly what aspects of the reg reform bill they might want to bring back up. But one option is the uh, wind farm uh, regulations, which if you recall from May or June, uh, was uh, a pretty broad restriction on where you could put um, wind energies type facilities, which would, uh, as I understand it, very severely limit uh, the type of wind power that could be developed in the state. Uh, So that's a possibility. There's also an issue with electronics recycling that would deregulate uh, some of those rules. that might be part of this. Uh, so a lot for environmentalists to object to uh, if, if this does indeed come up during this process. Uh, that's one of the more less talked about, I guess, speculation surrounding the um, special session. Obviously, the elephant in the room is is court packing. Right. And so a lot of uh, Democrats have been uh, saying, don't add members to the Supreme Court. Uh, there was a committee uh, of a commission that was formed by, I believe, the state Supreme Court that uh, voted uh, some weeks ago, but the news came out recently, had voted uh, to say that any changes to the court should be based on caseload, and apparently uh, the Supreme Court 
uh, hasn't seen increases in its uh, cases that it's handling. It has seen, has seen decreases, apparently. Uh, but there has been this speculation that just keeps persisting uh, that the Republicans will want to add a couple members to the court, and the, the theory goes that then the, the governor, uh, Governor McCrory, before he leaves, would um, be able to appoint new ones, uh, and that that would um, reverse the uh, shift to Democrats uh, that happened in the election. So, is there anything to this? Have you have we been able to find out whether anybody says this is actually being considered, yeah, or is so this just? Speculation. Yeah, not really. Not one Republican will come straight out and say yes. This is something we're interested in doing. We want to do, but they're also not willing to rule it out. Every time you ask uh, Senator Berger or House Speaker Tim Moore, and they've been asked multiple times about this uh, by a variety of media outlets in the past uh, few weeks, uh, and they always say we haven't had discussions about this. There's been no formal caucus discussion about it. And granted, there will be a caucus meeting, as is always the case at the beginning of any session, uh, to discuss what the agenda might be. Um, and then if there, but but when Moore and Berger asked. You know, so you're going to say this is definitely not going to happen. They, they won't answer that directly and, and say absolutely not. We're not going to do this. But they've definitely tried to throw some cold water on the the speculation to, by saying that, you know, it, most of what they're hearing about it is through the media and, and Democrats, and that, that they haven't had these formal discussions about it. That doesn't mean they haven't had an informal discussion about it. Uh, the most interesting comment that was made this week about it uh, was an email I got back from Senator Berger's office a day or so ago. Um, I'd asked uh, about some of the agenda items that might be considered, and, and their answer was that there's only one confirmed agenda item, and of course is the disaster relief. But then they had a second sentence in the statement that almost seemed unclear on, on what it meant. It was saying that the staff, Berger's staff, is reviewing what Roy Cooper did as Senate Majority Leader in 2000 and years prior. I then asked them, what do you mean by that? What What are you talking about? What did Roy Cooper do 16 years ago, and I got no response at all. But what that could be a reference to, and I, I hate to be this speculative about it, but when you send me a cryptic email like that, that's really the only choice I have, um, is that in 2000, um, and a couple of Republicans have, have brought this up as, as court packing is being discussed, uh, the legislature then controlled by Democrats voted to add several seats to the state court of appeals. Um, and that was then uh, allowed those extra judges to be appointed by Governor Jim Hunt, a Democrat who was in his final days in office in, in late 2000. At that time, um, Roy Cooper was finishing up his term in the Senate. He had just run for, or he was running for at the time, Attorney General for his his first term in that role. Uh, it's unclear what role he may have played directly in it other than in being around and presumably being uh, supportive of the change. Um, but uh, Republicans are definitely pointing to that as, as sort of the one of the arguments of, well, the Democrats did this over here. So if, if they were to decide to do it on the Supreme Court level, um, it's clear to me that that would be the uh, example they would look to as, you know, this has already been done once, you guys did it, so don't give us crap for doing it on our end now that we have the power. And and to expect that this is going to happen, I guess you have to make a couple leaps. One, that the legislature would actually do this and trigger, uh, you know, massive protests and everything else that would follow, but also that, that McCrory would go along and make the last act of him, his four-year governorship 
uh, a a move to uh, to change the partisan makeup of the court. So, um, do you think it's it's very likely? Uh, it's you know, I don't know. I I, I get the sense. If I had to guess, I would say the appetite to do it is more on the Senate side, and the question is whether both chambers would agree to do it, and whether uh, McCrory would agree to appoint the justices because. If you're Phil Berger or Tim Moore, you don't want to do this until you know for certain that Pat McCrory is going to appoint these people. Uh, because if he were to decide, you know, I don't want that to be my legacy. I'd rather go out on the note of, hey, look, I helped all these storm victims and maybe be more remembered for that um, and and let this bill slide and, and not uh, sign any new appointees in before he leaves, then you could end up with Roy Cooper appointing two more justices and further tilting it in favor of Democrats, which is certainly not what uh, Republican legislators want to see happen. Uh, so I'm sure they'll they'll have to all have private discussions and make sure they're all on the same page uh, before any of this uh, goes forward to make sure the plan actually goes through as they want, if they're indeed wanting to do this. Okay. All right. Well, we'll find out next week uh, what is going to happen there. So stay tuned. Uh, no headliner of the week this week. It would be a little uh, weird to do. I have it to with compete just, with myself. <laughs> just the two of us. So, so you'll have to guess who would be the headliner of the week. Yeah. Feel uh, free to it, tweet at us if you have a headliner <laughs> of the week. Maybe we'll, you know, offer you a Twitter award or something. Yeah. Would it be Senator Bill Raybon who uh, was named yeah, to the, the new, powerful uh, rules chairman, Senate um, rules chairman? Yeah. Or would it be Linda McMahon, the wrestling executive who is now uh, who has North Carolina ties and is now going to uh, head the Small Business Administration under Trump? Uh, it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure uh, uh, headliner of the week this week. Yeah, so. so, you know, tweet at Under the Dome if you're so inclined to play the game yourself since I don't want to play it against myself. Democratizing headliner of the week. Um, okay, well, thanks for joining us, and uh, join us next week for Domecast. For uh, Colin Campbell, I'm Jordan Schrader. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.